I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stuck in Stony Brook. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Book 59, Mallory Hates Boys and Jim. And Jim is in parentheses. <laughs> this is like in my top five book titles. <laughs> oh. Don't you guys think it's like, I don't know, it just feels like an uber BSC title to me. Like it's so, it's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, Last week, the title was a little bit ambiguous. This week, it's really back to just oh, very descriptive. It's a one-sentence summary. Yeah. yeah. But I love the, the addition of the parentheses. So it sounds like, a you know, some popular pop song. And also, like, what sixth-grade girl does... Well, some sixth-grade girls, like Helen Galway, don't hate Jim. But I feel like most sixth-grade girls hate boys and Jim. I don't think we had Jim in sixth grade. What? No, in elementary school? I think it's a state requirement. Well, you have to have some of it. Like, it's not a separate class, but, like, your teacher would take you out and teach you some sport things. No? There was, like, one school-wide kickball game at the end of the year. (laughs) This You also tell us you don't remember anything about your childhood, so... There's no gym. That doesn't seem right. (laughs) Ask Aaron. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, can we text her right now so we can get a reply by the end of the episode? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Aaron doesn't respond that quickly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Do you guys have your one-sentence summaries? Sure. Yeah. Okay. You want to start, Emily? No, I want to go last. Okay. Mine is just Mallory ain't wrong. Yeah, I feel like we can be, we can like go off plot here because the title is so descriptive. That's true. I feel like Emily might talk about Logan. We can talk (laughs) about Logan. No? Okay. I'm over Logan. Oh, still. She's oh, still Oh, because you moved Logan. on to Ben Hobart? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, my one sentence summary is Logan ruins the vibe again. <laughs> uh, well, as we, as we blew up my bit, I wrote down Mallory hates boys and Jim with no parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank very you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. I'm Manny Chicala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. If you want to learn more about us and how we all know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, please rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. You can do that on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, please drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. We are about to read the first book of the Boxcar Children to venture back to Emily's other series obsession from childhood. And you can see what we all think of that over on Patreon. I'm going to be really sad if you guys don't like it. So just uh, to, yes, pressure. Okay. Yes, emotional manipulation. I'm excited about it. (laughs) I'm excited too. It looks good.
Um, I mean, it's a bit implausible, the premise, but... That's okay. That's well, what I like about it, I think. Yeah. Okay. Come Great. on. Island Adventure is our favorite super special, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. seems like it has some similar vibes. Yes, the suspension of disbelief. Is that what you call it? Yeah. You still mm-hmm. remember that from childhood. <laughs> I remember a lot of things. I just don't remember all of the things. Fair enough. So do we really need to do much of a summary? It's just Mallory has to take gym class and she hates it. And she decides that boys are also the problem. Yes. Well, yeah, and the B plot is that all the boy babysitter babysitting charges are like going wiling out. Yeah. Being monstrous. Specifically, yeah. she doesn't like volleyball. Yes. Well, and specifically, she doesn't like gym in front of and with boys because mm-hmm. they didn't used to do that. Hence the title. Yes. <laughs> yep. Mallory hates boys and gym together. Yes. So one word, no space. How check did, and check. What were your feelings on gym? I guess never mind Emily because she didn't have gym as me. I had it in seventh grade and eighth grade. I didn't have it in sixth grade. Uh, my feelings were near identical to Mallory's. Um, I like was having flashbacks from a volleyball game at Crocker Riverside, probably in sixth grade um, behind, you know, where the auditorium was. And then there were volleyball courts on the blacktop right outside the auditorium. I know where I was standing with Zach Gooden and Jeff Cole, both yelling at me because I kept missing the ball, like, like almost, almost identical. Um, I did not feel like there was actual instruction. I actually liked my seventh grade gym teacher, Miss Klein, who everybody else hated because she actually taught us how to do things. So I felt like I was, I, I could, could do it a little bit. Like, I think she was actually a really good PE teacher. She was pretty strict. So people didn't like her, but I think in elementary school it was just like, here, do this. And I was like, well, and I was terrible at it. So there was a lot of that pressure that Mallory describes. And just wanted everything. She was great at it all. So. No, well, that's the funny thing. Because even though I was athletically inclined, I didn't like gym. I thought it was dumb. Oh, it yeah. Just, it, it was, was just a mess around period. Yeah. I used to get in trouble a lot at gym. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, I took marching band in high school specifically so I wouldn't have to take gym. Well, that's part true. Of, yeah. Yeah, so. we did get out of PE for marching band, which was great for me. Yeah. Yeah. So. I only had to do PE freshman year because afterwards... If you play a sport, you don't have to do it. So, right, really, yeah. So that's how it is at the kids' high school. That yeah, you if you have a sport, it gets you out of PE. But that wasn't true at our high school. Only marching band got you out of PE, which was amazing. Yeah. Why did I play two sports if I? (laughs) Whatever. Now I just have regrets. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. I think it's a pretty accurate description of how it feels if you are. You know, because sixth graders, especially sixth and seventh graders are really self-conscious and there's a lot of peer stuff going on. The rates of maturity are different. You know, makes sense to me. Boys are Mallory dumb. singing a song. Yeah, boys are dumb. <laughs> Did you guys but, notice that Don makes a reference to astrology in this book? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> shall I Shall I jump into the the boys, hating boys part of it? Yeah. I feel like you probably have a few things to say, Emily. Well, I think it's really interesting. So first, just one small note, the like separate sexes for PE thing is really interesting to me. Um, That's such a separate sexes for education in general is such an old, like early modern invention that has to do with the fact that or the... um, presupposition that boys and girls are 
suited for different social roles. And so they require actually different educations, both moral and kind of intellectual. Um, and it's, you know, you don't see the sort of eradication of it until like the 20th century, basically, <laughs> at a big level. Um, but I was kind of interested that they would have been doing PE separately, even in the 90s. That seems mm -hmm. strange to me. Feels I like a holdover. I think places probably still do it now. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of feminist debate about single sex education. I bet. But I don't really have a stake in that argument. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, okay, so the main thing is Mallory trying to figure out why all the boys suck. Um, and I thought it was really fascinating because she oscillates between the two, like, traditional explanations that are in, um, that are counterposed to one another, right? The biological determinist one and the social constructionist one. So on the one hand, she's, there's a little bit of the like, boys will be boys kind of sentiment, right? That like, boys are annoying, boys are messy, boys are dirty, they're crazed, they're out of control, which is like, you know, in part, um, a, a description of sort of masculinity or maleness that if you map it onto the realm of like sexuality, right. It's like the masculine is the aggressor active, um, you know, like impulsive, uncontrollable sort of entity. And the feminine is the sort of passive receptive, but also the, and, and thus like is sort of responsible for, the actions and behavior of the man, right? And this is like, you hear all the time in discourse around things like sexual harassment and assault and violence, right? That like, that, that um, it's an expectation that men will act in that way if given the opportunity. So it's the responsibility of women to not give them the opportunity, yeah. right? And I think that we, that, is made possible as a argument or like a defense or an explanation for the fact of gender-based violence, beginning with these really young kind of reflections and commentary on boys' behaviors when they're not explicitly sexual or not explicitly violent, no. right? That Hashtag we just expect, mom. right? If we just expect boys to be crazy and like uncontrollable, then it feeds right the, um, into that. It makes that argument or that explanation for violence um, available. It's just natural. That's the way it is. Blah blah blah. Um, and Mallory kind of bats that argument around a little bit. Um, but then there's like this sort of hypothesis that she starts to develop, right? It, not, there's a little She's bit of like scientific. not all boys mm -hmm. too, so which motivates her investigation into right. the problem, right? Ben is different. Logan's different. Yeah. So like, hmm, what is it? What do Ben and Logan have in common that makes them different from the rest of the boys? Well, they're not from here, right? And what is it about here in particular that makes these boys such monsters? And she comes to the conclusion that it's PE. <laughs> but really what she's saying is that um, it's the way that they're taught. And PE is the kind of paradigmatic example that like they can do whatever they want and get away with it or that they ought to kind of um, follow their impulses or that they can kind of just be impulsive whenever they have the have an urge to do something crazy, right? And she thinks that this is part of the instruction of of the boy boys' instruction in physical education, um, which is a, a sort of social constructionist argument, right? That like boys are um, 
boys tend to be or are more likely to be act in these kinds of ways because they're taught that they can or that they should or that kind of behavior is allowed or encouraged in them and tampered or, um, you know, punished in, in girls or something like that. And I think it's really funny that that's sort of, I mean, it's sort of where she lands, I think in the end on, as a conclusion, which is really cool for the nineties, but there, it is a really kind of like over simplification of that, of that debate, right? Like most feminists now, the sensibility is like the nature or nurture question isn't really that interesting. Um, and, but like how nature and nurture interact is, is what's interesting, right. Or how nurture, um, I don't know, what are the conditions that make certain nature, you know, natural things sort of flourish or diminish or whatever. Um, and I think, uh, there's a moment where I thought when Stacy was pulling up her stats thing, where that was going to be a kind of like dismissal of the, the dichotomy, right. The, the two possibilities. Um, but it, what, what her statistics argument does is something a little bit like put the question aside and sort of like punt the, the origin question altogether. Right. She's like, okay, how does, what is exactly does she say? She's like, I was going to talk about this too. So I got the section ready. So basically Stacy's, you know, Mal has been continuing to put forth this hypothesis that it's like a problem with the boys from Stony Brook. Um, and then Stacy said, it's just a coincidence. It's like cards. You have a run of b- bad luck and then you have a run of good luck. It's mathematical in a way. And Don says, leave it to our resident math whiz to see the problem in terms of math. Stacy says, but it is a math problem. It has to do with odds and statistics. Statistics, Jesse repeated. Yeah, Mr. Zismore was talking about it today in class. Statistics can't always be trusted. Say, for example, a scientist surveys only people who support his theory and excludes people who don't support it. Then he could say 100% of all people interviewed think this, but really he's only included in the survey the people who think a certain way to begin with. I get it, I think, said Claudia. But what does that have to do with boys? It means that we've come up with a theory that boys are a problem, but we're only looking at the cases in which they are a problem. I mean, look at the good time Mallory had sitting for the Hobart boys. And the other day I sat for the Cormans. Bill was fine. And Don, you sat for Norman Hill. He was okay, right? Yeah, he was, Don admitted. See, they don't fit into our theory, so we're not talking about them. We're skewing the statistics, as Mr. Zismore would say. I think what's sort of wrong about that in terms of thinking about gender and like our expectations about um, why people act the way they do is like, A, if we search for gender difference, we're going to find it, right? And so that's one of the problems with sort of biological determinist arguments and why sometimes like... um, but why also sometimes people have a hard time accepting a sort of social constructionist argument, right? If you're like, okay, ag- aggression in boys is um, a, a social feature that comes from growing up in a patriarchal society that, you know, prioritizes a particular um, expression of masculinity, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, okay, but to take Stacey's point, statistically, men are more likely to do X, Y, Z thing that maps onto masculinity than women, right? And so, um, but you can say that like, and that might be evidence 
on the one on the biological determinist side that it's a natural expression of sort of masculinity or maleness, mm. right? Right, but um, it's not. It's not. It's, but but I think that that's why st- the way Stacy talks about the stats is kind of missing the point because you could say like the fact that it, there's a pattern, even if there are outlier cases or, or it's not everyone, is actually I think evidence of the force of the social construction argument. In fact, because there's like. Um, because not everybody <laughs> fits the model, right? Then you have you would have to explain all of those aberrations as somehow like biological failures, right? And so um, the outlier case, I think, helps to strengthen the 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 analysis of it as a kind of social force or as as having some sort of social ground to it. Um, and I think too that right, like patterns. Um, to think about patterns statistically also like helps us think about the social cost of sort of transgressing those norms. So like in the case of, it's not as, so uh, it wouldn't be so present, I think, in the case of like evaluating boys acting out like as boys. But if you were thinking about something that was, um, you know, think about like the requirement not requirement, but the expectation that like everybody's straight, right? And that part of what it means to be masculine and to be male is to um, pursue women, right? And that there's like, but a lot of men don't, right? Um, And there's a kind of social cost to appearing to not be that kind of man, right? Potentially, especially in the 90s, right? That, that or, you know, in different contexts. In certain context, circles. Yeah, yes. certain circles, right? That you might, um, that you might be, feel pressured to pretend to like ogle or pursue or something like that, because that's like the force of that. The, that's the enforcement mechanism of kind of like um, those social norms and how it functions. And so I think the stats are, are a kind of interesting way to think about um, like really abstract ideas about how we learn like gendered scripts, even if we're not explicitly told like, um, even, you know, parents are not sitting down and saying to their boys the second they can, they're cognizant, like you, because you are a boy, you are allowed to be crazy sometimes, right? It's all those other subtle ways that we, that we teach the, you know, kids, those things. The implicit curriculum. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that, that the way that she uses stats to kind of like, just it's, she's making a different argument with the statistics thing than like that, the, the rather than using it to to weigh in on the like nature versus nurture question, which is kind of what Mallory's struggling with, right? Like, yeah, Mallory's struggling mm-hmm. with that, but Stacey's just like, you, you know, your your evidence is spurious. Stacey's yeah. just making that, <laughs> Stacey's just making, which is what I liked about it as a psychologist, mm-hmm. Stacey's just making a, you don't know how to read a research article argument. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, but she I doesn't actually yeah. have a dog in the race about why the boys, have, the boys that have been acting crazy have been acting crazy. She's just like, your analysis is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny. Yeah, um, it is funny. But isn't the whole problem that people that are on either side of this debate, and I'm not talking about like scholars, I'm just talking about like your average person who is like on team boys will be boys or on like, oh, I'm so grateful that I have girls or whatever. Like, isn't the problem mostly just, and this comes up a lot on this podcast, like a general lack of dialectical thinking. Like, I mean, everything is both. Like, why do we have two teams here? Like, I'm sure, you know, like you said, if you look for biological differences, you'll find them. And 
biology is not destiny, as we know from a lot of different reasons, right? So like, sure, there are things that statistically, probably biologically lead cisgender men to be more one way and cisgender women to be more another way. And social forces have a huge impact on that. And it's not one or the other ever. Well, and I think what's so interesting too, is that, you know, a lot of people who work as biologists or sexologists who are also, um, you know, scholars in women and gender studies argue that like, when you look at the evidence, there's way more variety among men Mm -hmm. and among women than between. Right. And so like, it's that thing where if you take a random sample size of like a thousand people, a thousand women and a thousand men, you're going to have more women and men that are like each other, each other in like a variety of characteristics that you might want to measure that you think uh, are, have a a sex um, cause, right. (laughs) Than similarities and uh, between and among the men and the women, if that makes sense. Um, right. Like you're going to have, you're probably going to have one woman who's really fucking strong and one man who's really fucking strong and one of each that are really not strong. Right. And like, yeah. Um, so I just think that, which is kind of obvious if you like thought about it for one second, but we (laughs) presume, but like we presume when we're trying to explain like, you know, a variety of things about physiology or whatever that we're trying to explain that sex is the primary differentiating factor or is a primary differentiating factor. So it's that assumption, I think, that like lets us see biology when in fact that's not what we're looking at. If, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting that that you see both um, accounts here and that, uh, the, and that the, Anna, is Anna Martin? No, no, no. The ghostwriter. No. Um, like gives us a doesn't doesn't double down on biological determinism. I no. thought that was cool. Yeah. Nice work, Suzanne Wayne. Mm-hmm. You still with us, Dan? So it's not penis size. Well, it's not not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh Wait, God. but which are you saying that penis size determines? Is it is it that Logan and Ben are better because of penis size? Or that Robbie Mara and who's the Logan kid that does kind of have BD. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I would think that if you are confident in your penis size, you would be less likely. You don't to... have to be so aggressive. Yeah, exactly. So Chris, Chris Brooks, the guy that keeps spiking the ball at Mallory over and over again, has a micro penis. Micro penis. Yeah. yeah. Wait, let's try to say it in unison. One, <laughs> okay. two, three. Micro, micro penis. penis. <laughs> we we are really bad at that. <laughs> All right. Is it my turn? Yes. Yep. All right. Emily has an overall theme today. I got nuggets. Um, I I guess the thing that I need to start tracking is um, back to more self-harm and medical malingering from Mal. So there was the previous book in which she sprained her own ankle on purpose. um, And now she's fainting in the locker room in this one. Um, So I just, just, I guess it's a thing I'm tracking, but I'm just a little worried about it. So yeah. it's the problem solving through physical challenges. It's not it's working for her. unsettling. It's unsettling. And it also doesn't work. Like I, like I love that she spends a bunch of time working herself up to fainting in the locker room and then literally no one's there. I find it interesting at the age of 11, she has tried this twice already. Yeah. Like it's not good. It's not good. Like I have never faked having any sort of physical ailment to get out of anything. I think. 
No. Well, you never had like, you've never been like sick when you didn't feel like going out. You're an introvert. I could see you um, being like, oh, I don't really feel good. I mean, it's very I different than spraining your yeah. own ankle or pretending to faint. Right. Like, I'm. No. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. pretend I, to faint to get out of going to a party. No. I just, <laughs> <laughs> you just say, I don't feel like yeah. it. See you guys later. <laughs> Emily's searching her memory. I feel like I would skip class. And if somebody asked, I'd be like, oh, I was sick. That's so different than yeah. Like, it's still different. Making it's a, different a show animal. show of it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different animal entirely. So I'm just a little worried about that. I did think though that Mal's panic about it and just her inability to endure. Um, she 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 shows a, a cardinal symptom of social anxiety in this book, which is called FNE or fear of negative evaluation. We've talked about it before. Um, with Marianne actually not having much FNE, that Marianne more is just actually shy. Um, but Mallory's really focused on like both her physical symptoms of how she's feeling when she's like on the spot for having to serve or the ball coming to her and also what all the other kids are doing, the assumptions they're making and how much they care about winning, um, which may be accurate, but maybe not accurate. Maybe they just look like they care because they're trying harder at the sport and they do get excited when they do something well, but Mallory is assuming that that's the most important thing and that they don't care about her. Um, so I, I thought all of that was actually pretty well rendered. I liked what um, they did with it. And I, I love Stacey Stats lesson <laughs> because it, it, I think, you know, we have a real problem with science literacy in this country and basically anything that looks like a study, people are like, oh, this study shows X. And it's very easy for that shady scientist that Stacy and Mr. Sismore describe to have some splashy news that is is not actually accurate. So I, I love to think of all the like eight, nine, 10 year olds reading that explanation of cruddy statistics and being like, oh, okay, yeah, I should look closely <laughs> when people tell me something. So I thought that that was really cute um, and very effective. Yeah, um, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. What did you guys think of, We ha a piece we haven't talked about yet was the brother switch, which came like late in the book. And I was like, wait, what? This is so confusing. And I, I suppose it's still related to the parenthetical, and, uh, or not the parenthetical, the boys part of the Mallory Hates Boys. But this is like in chapter 12, she's arguing with Ben about whether her brothers are more annoying and the Hobart little brothers are angels. And then the three Hobart brothers come spend the night at the Pikes and the four Pike brothers go spend the night with the Hobarts. And it doesn't go well. The little Hobarts are, go crazy and the Pikes are like super charming and lovely. Um and so Mallory learns her lessons that basically, I guess that all boys are terrible or that <laughs> all boys are terrible sometimes and all boys are good other times. But it's just, I was very, like, I was genuinely like, wait, what? We're spending a whole chapter. We're spending two chapters on this now? What happened yeah. to Jim? I don't know. What did you guys think? He's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. I also I feel like the parents oh. were just like, okay. That's cool. Well, they did say like both mom and Mrs. Hobart were pretty confused. Like they, <laughs> which I did appreciate. They were like, they were kind of were like, okay, I guess if you want to. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was just a weird, that was a weird section. And I just feel like sometimes Mallory is, uh, you know, she's supposed to be very smart and she does well in school and she has, she enjoys writing, but then they often write her as like very concrete. Like the Mal in this book 
the the internal world of her stress and anxiety about Jim, I thought was really good. But her trying to figure out why boys are terrible seemed like really simple in a way that reminded me of Mallory in like California Girls, where she's just like obsessed with becoming a California girl and spends all her money. It just doesn't seem like, given that her descriptors are like practical and level-headed, um, that that didn't seem neither of those things seem in line with like the Mallory that we generally know. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know if that's a result of the ghostwriting. Like, I feel like both, you know, we really like Mallory and Dawn uh, among the three of us. And I feel like both of them are getting ghostwritten more and more. And I'm like, no, why? <laughs> but the other thing I got super obsessed with in this book was the, the repeated use of the word pennies. Yeah. What um, is that? <laughs> So it's the little thing that they give you in gym class to put over your shirt to say what team you're on. You know, it's like it's a, just like, like a, a kind of like a mesh, like a, like mesh, a tank mesh tank top. top. Yeah. yeah. With elastic around the bottom. Yeah. 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 It's called a penny. That's not a word that anyone ever uses other than PE teachers. <laughs> and, and I don't think that I had used it since middle school, probably. And I was just like, I got kind of stuck on it. Like, it's funny. It is weird. Yeah. It's a weird word, right? I used to wear those. Yeah. I know this, this book. No, like for fashion. Oh, for fashion. <laughs> oh, with your, with your thong bodysuit. Yeah. Oh God, no. <laughs> Not this again. Um, I quit. This, what were you going to say, Anne? Oh, it just like brought back a lot of memories of just like gym in general or just mm-hmm. like playing at school, um, mm-hmm. like wearing those mesh things. And how mm-hmm. long ago it was. Penny. It's a penny. <laughs> penny. The penny. Yeah, it was literally before this book was published for yeah. us. Like, or right around the same time, but a little bit before. Yeah. Um, I also like how she discovered that she likes archery. Yes, that was the next thing I was okay, going to say. Go <laughs> like, so they move on to the archery unit, which has the advantage that it's a sport that no one's ever done. Right. So we can I think we can assume that some of the kids in Mal's class have played volleyball before for fun somewhat. Um, But everybody's learning. And then turns out Mal's pretty good at it. And Miss Walden, the gym teacher, tells her to try out for the team and she makes the team. Very exciting. Um, Which is very exciting. Um, And I just loved that it was archery because like. As a Girl Scout, I feel like it's sort of a quintessential nerd sport. Like, I feel like archery is the perfect sport for Mallory. Like, I can't, I don't know. Can you guys think of something else that would be more, like, spot on? What does she pick? She doesn't do anything during the sports day, right? That's the one where she tries to... That's when she sprains her ankle. That's when she sprains her Yeah, okay. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I feel like it's perfect. It's just like a stroke of of genius or a shot, shot in the air of genius. Yeah, I was thinking how... What about pool? I could see her being a pool shark. (laughs) Later, but not at 11. Mm -hmm. So her thing is just like aim. She's really good (laughs) at aiming things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't think she's hanging out with her dad at bars at 11? Yeah. Um, Emily, do you see how Anne's trying to diminish Mallory's legitimate athletic talent? I'm not trying to. I was actually thinking during that whole chapter about how I I feel like you and I had this conversation recently about how how I think I probably would have excelled more at a solo sport than a team sport. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Even this morning, I was talking with a peer of mine about how I don't like to work in groups. (laughs) So 
I'm all about, I was like, I wish I could do archery when I was like 11. It was really fun. You know at Girl I, Scout camp, when they give you, when you get a bullseye, you get a, a chocolate bar and there's not a lot of other sweet things at Girl Scout camps. So it's very exciting. Wow. Oh. I do that like darts. Exciting. I like darts. It's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is similar. I like darts too. <laughs> Great. We can play darts at, at the holidays if we can all get together. Do you have a dartboard? <laughs> if we can go to a bar. Oh, okay. Too many other people there. Anne's like, no, I'm out. <laughs> I'll buy a dartboard. <laughs> Anne's like, I'll buy a bar. <laughs> yes, I'll buy a bar. <laughs> It'll have to um, be a tiki bar. The last thing I liked was I just liked um, Mal's, I think the adults were pretty good in this book. I liked Mal's uh, conversation with her mom uh, once mm-hmm. her mom finally finds the detention notices. Mal really does think about her life of crime as she's like going to detention and hiding the evidence of it from her family. And then her mom, I think Mrs. Pike handles it really well and approaches her nicely. And then Miss Walden also approaches her nicely and mm. finds something to encourage oh, in her. Oh, I forgot that that was something that I was going to remark on, that her her sort of presumption that like one crime begets another Mm -hmm. is like very much of the, from the sensibility that like being a criminal is like an identity, not just a series of, of like actions, (laughs) you know? And so like it, it, which is just really not how the, you know, school to prison pipeline works or why it works or why it happens. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's also an example of what's called the fundamental attribution error, which is that you think things that you do are because of the circumstances, but you think things that other people do are because of their character. Right. Yeah. So yeah, makes sense. All of a sudden, responsibility ethic. Yes. Yep. Well, so we have a new feature today. I don't know what we're going to call this, um, but we have a little op-ed that we're going to listen to for a minute here. So my older daughter, Keely, uh, this is one of Keely's very favorite BSC books because they super identify with Mallory and Keely also hates boys and Jim. Um, so uh, Keely had a few things to say about Mallory in this book. So we're going to listen to that here. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Keely. I'm Esme's kid and I'm a Claudia. I wanted to share some of my thoughts on this book. So I read the vast majority of the Babysitter's Club series in sixth grade, which was also right after I was diagnosed with Developmental Coordination Disorder, or DCD. What this essentially means, or at least in my case, is that I struggle connecting my thoughts to my actions. Um, And when I read this, I was having this unbelievably euphoric experience every time Mallory explains her time in gym. She talks about the pure exasperation she feels when trying her best to be anywhere near as athletic as her classmates. I find this to be quite relatable, especially when she talks about how her male classmates respond. She can say that she's trying all she wants, but it doesn't matter to them. I've always found it incredibly frustrating how my male classmates behave at gym. Has it ever occurred to them that it's just a class? Not in every case, of course, but so often they just seem like they must win, and it, I never caught it. Of course, I never grew up with the burdens of toxic masculinity, and I can only imagine, but jeepers if they could just give it a rest sometimes. Thanks for having me. I'm Keely. I am lukewarm to boys, and I hate Jim. Oh, thanks, Keely. That was really interesting. Thanks, Keely. All right. Our first op-ed. That's pretty cool. Uh, Yes, the op-ed. If any of you listeners have any opinions on anything we've talked about, 
uh, or a particular book, we'd love to hear it. Um, send a voicemail to us at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com and we'll try to get it up on episode. Woohoo. All right, Anne, what do you have? Um, I, have a bunch of, I have a bunch of nuggets. Great. Just, you know, they dropped a, a handful of little pop culture tidbits. So first thing I'm going to address is uh, the Nerf. Mm. So Jordan says, it's just a Nerf ball. It's not going to hurt anything. So, of course, I Googled, has Nerf ever killed anyone? What? What do you mean, of course, that's what you Googled? I mean, of course. So Makes sense. It doesn't seem that a Nerf has caused any deaths, but Nerf guns have definitely caused blindness and eye injury. Like a boy had to have his eyeball taken out. Or like cause, it was a boy. Or, or like a mom, <laughs> a mom got hit in the eye with a Nerf gun pellet thing and she has like partial blindness and stuff like that. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. So yeah, they, they can oh, be really dangerous. not selling me on the whole kids thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yours will just stay a baby. Also, you'll have a girl. Mm. <laughs> and that, well, girls can use Nerf. Angel. No. No, they can't, Anne. No, Anne. Biologically, they are not capable. I don't know. What about statistics? <laughs> Statistically, they're incapable. Okay. <laughs> um, there was also a mention of Care Bears, which I'm not oh, yeah. sure if they've mentioned Care Bears before. They have not. But yeah, Care Bears were huge. Um, interestingly, so my fun facts about Care Bears is they started out as <laughs> greeting cards before they became a cartoon. Oh. So the original artist, her name was Weird. Elena Kucherik, and she was hired by American Greetings to actually do the Care Bears greeting cards. And then it just turned into kind of like toys and everything, as we know. And the Care Bears movie was one of the first movies that was inspired by a toy. Hmm. Interesting. So that's very normal now, but back then it obviously wasn't. Um, they talked about Game Boy, which they have talked about before in the in the series, I believe. But an interesting statistic I found about Game Boy is that in nineteen, so it was released in North America in nineteen eighty nine, and then in nineteen ninety five, uh, Nintendo, the American division announced that 46% of Game Boy players were female, hmm. which was higher than the percentage of female players for both the NES, which was 29%, and the Super NES, which was 14%. Wow. So that's a pretty big difference there. But is it yeah. just because... Wow. I wonder why. We both had Game Boys. Mm-hmm. Like the original black and white Game yeah. Boy. And you were... Maybe they were marketed to girls more than the other ones. I don't think so. Yeah. Is it just, I don't know. Maybe it's more about like... I don't think either of them is particularly more social, but like you can bring it to your friend's house. It's like... I don't know. You can do it, have it with you while you're doing your girly things. Well, I know Esme was obsessed with Tetris on Yeah. Well, because it's perfect Okay. Emily, do you know how good Esme is at Tetris and also Dr. Mario? Yes, I do. I mean, I feel like if you ever want to think of an it's alternate It's not fun to career. watch Esme play Tetris because it gets bored. Boring. <laughs> it's too long. Yeah. 
and they're always zeroed out. It's like, uh, there's not even any drama. Yeah. The I mean, stakes it's very are impressive. not high enough. But do you call that your spatial? Yeah. It's like my spatial awareness, my visio, visio spatial skills. Yeah. But yeah. then why aren't you good at like sports? Because it's, it's, I'm good at the brain part, not the translating it uh. to my body part. When you said visual awareness or spatial awareness, it sort of sounded like you said awareness. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just talking like Claire. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of mess. Yeah. Yeah. My, so my visual awareness. Awareness. Yeah. <laughs> and then my last little tidbit is about Operation the Game. Mm, great. Okay. Emily, was this around in your childhood? Okay, so we've all played Operation. Except as when I probably played it on some rusty version <laughs> of it. <laughs> and Emily probably had the nice newer version. Um, so there were actually a lot of tidbits and fun facts about Operation, but I'm only going to say a few. So the way, uh, the origin story of Operation the Game is... Uh, started in college. A student named John Spinello was studying industrial design. And one of the assignments the teacher gave was to design a game. So he was kind of thinking about what to do. And he remembered when he was a kid, he stuck a pin in a socket and got a small shock. And he thought about, he's like, well, if I could like translate to that to a game or that sensation, I feel like that would be really cool. So he basically kind of like, innovated or invented that piece of technology. Um, and at first, um, the game was not an operation table. It was called Death Valley. And it, the premise was it was a desert. And there were these crevices and you had to get water out of them. And that's how you were, you were trying to retrieve like the water out of these crevices in the desert. Um, but... Then Bolton Bradley bought the game and then they changed it to an operating theater type of thing. Um, so interesting. And that was released in uh, 1965. Yeah, it's a total then, boomer toy. Yeah. And then the last tidbit's very interesting. So there's um, a doctor who works at John Hopkins Medical School. Um, his name is Dr. Andrew Goldstone. Um, and he played operation as a kid and he like, so when you do thyroid surgery, um, one of the biggest dangers is like getting too close to the vocal cords. Cause then you can damage the vocal cords and like you're right. <clears throat> making so people can't talk. Yeah. And so people yeah. can't talk. So inspired by the game of operation, he like invented this device that is used pretty much all the time now in thyroid surgeries where he, you like, when you first put the patient under, and they like, he puts this little like, uh, a, like electric thing near the vocal cord. So if you get too close to it, it like actually buzzes like operation. Oh, wow. So it's like a warning layer. It's a warning. It's like, don't come closer. Wow. So that's wild. That, that's yeah. amazing. I think that's really cool. cool. Just like. That's a very fun fact. It's a very yeah. fun fact. Yeah. Those are, those the, are my tidbits. The, the patient has a name, right? In operation. Oh yeah, His that name, was, like, there's, um, shoot, I, f it's like something like, it's something like Larry, I feel, or I don't, it's, it's kind of like oh, a name I thought like it was that. like Sam or Joe, but it's got, it's like, it's like, 
is it, of course we could Google this. I feel like it's like Cavity Joe or Cavity it's Sam. something like that. But I do know that Shovely Joe. Like in the 90s, <laughs> I think it was in the 80s or 90s I read this, but I guess. Oh, it's Cavity Sam. Cavity Sorry. Sam. I'm very, ex- Cavity I'm very Sam excited. Cavity Sam never had like an ailment of why he went into surgery. <laughs> and so there was a. Water on the knee. Yeah, there was a, there was like some sort of poll that they had put up for fans to pick and it was brain freeze. So I think uh, now I think the game now comes with like a little ice cream cone in his brain that you yes. have to like take out. So. Yeah, brain freeze is newer. Yeah, I just remember the next? Charlie horse and water <laughs> on the knee. There were a lot of good board game name drops in this book, though, because there was also Mousetrap mm-hmm. and Shark Attack and Monopoly, of course, mm-hmm. which Anne and I played a lot of. Yeah, Mousetrap was, really was a game board. I definitely got from, it was a hand-me-down from my brother, but that, I liked that game a lot. Yeah, Mousetrap was My fun. nephews are really into Monopoly right now, but they don't like losing, so. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny how, like, just generations of children like Monopoly, but it's like, why? <laughs> Yeah. Because it's pretty boring, actually. I know. But also they're like, I'm like, well, why don't you trade me that for that? And they're like, okay. And I'm like, well, that was really stupid of you. Why did you agree to that? Yeah. Don't agree to trades. That's the secret to Monopoly. (laughs) Buy everything. Don't agree to trades. (laughs) Fantastic. Was there any candy? There was not. There wasn't. This is a very Mal-centric It's very Mallory. Yeah. BSC meetings. Yeah. Were there, yeah, I think they, there were quite a few tallies though, right? Yeah. So there was a bossy, an almond, a sensitive, a sophisticated, and a health food. Um, yeah. I have a proposal for weirdest line. Okay, great. I have a, I've, there were a few in this. Okay. Out of context, it's not that weird. But when she's babysitting for the Newtons and she's talking to Mrs. Newton and Mrs. Newton is like, oh, I hope the kids behave for you because someone stepped on Mallory's foot. Uh, during gym, a boy, I presume. Um, she says, "Like, have fun at your haircut." And Mrs. Newton says, "Oh, I'm, it's, I'm just getting highlights or something like that." And Mal just responds, "Whatever." Yeah. <laughs> to her, wow. Which I thought was really weird, and uh, like that I think she wouldn't. I think you're you're assuming some tone there. <laughs> well, okay, hang on. There's how many ways can you say whatever? I think here, let's, let's do it. Have fun at your haircut. It's highlighting. Whatever. Or. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Or whatever. I still just think Uh, that that's a funny thing for Mal to have said to a a client. An adult. Yeah. Yeah, An adult client. Um, um, I I like I had one that I really liked that's too long, but Mal gets really annoyed at Miss Walden making metaphors about volleyball and life, and she goes on a little sub rant about how people that like sports are always trying to make life about sports. <laughs> she says life is life and sports is sports, mm, that's <laughs> and I've good. thought of that a lot. <laughs> but um, I also, when she was in a bad mood about having Jim, she said, "No, it wasn't just a bad mood." It was foul, livid, murderous, which I also thought was really good. That's pretty good also. I have this game was for morons. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. And also um, life eats up quitters. <laughs> okay. 
That's what that's what she responds with life is life and sports is sports too. But I really like life eats up quitters, actually. Yeah, let's do that. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Um pizza toast to volleyball. To <laughs> yeah, volleyball. Yeah. I love volleyball. It's Emily's really sport. good at it. Is it really? Um, yeah. yeah. No, Are you on do you play volleyball like is there like a adult volleyball league you can join in New York? I used to play uh, all year round, but before the pandemic, that's the last thing I did before New York City shut down was go to a volleyball game. Really? <laughs> oh, really? March 12th, 2020? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Emily's like very, very good at volleyball. I yeah. feel like I, Asian people oh, go are good at volleyball. <laughs> all Asian people. That's biological. Biological determinism. determinism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let's pizza toast um, to Asian people being good at volleyball. <laughs> June's best friend, Maddie Saturn, is really good at volleyball. So there's oh. another point in your favor. We'll only pay attention to the the Asian people that are good at volleyball to prove our theory because Stacey's yeah. not here to correct our yeah. statistics. Yeah. <laughs> what if we could pizza toast to statistics? Oh, okay, that's go. true. I also that. really liked the triplets cake for Mallory and that they waited until the last minute to, to write either congratulations oh, yeah. or so better cute. luck next time that's when she tried true. out for the archery team. So cute. <laughs> I think we should pizza toast to the statistics. Great. Great. Okay. Pizza toast to statistics. Two statistics. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Salar Khan. You can find her work and hire her at propodcastediting.net. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuckinstonybrook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.